All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton here to dig deeper with you into the book of Revelation. Here we have the fourth trumpet this week, looking at Revelation chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. As we go through these trumpets, we see the true practicality of the book of Revelation. We see this really going on in our lives today. This is not something that is a future happening that, as the dispensationalists will say, is way on down the line and we'll have to get through all the seals first and then we're all this. No, this is truly what is happening with us now, although we don't quite see it as, we, as John sees it. But here we go, chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. All right, so we have a double section here, each one verse piece. The fourth angel and the heavenly bodies being struck and their light not being able to shine. And then the angel coming through and another angel, sorry, eagle coming through and talking about the three woes that are coming in trumpets five, six, and seven. But we're on trumpet four right now. So let's look at this again. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Two things come to mind as I read this. First of all, the ninth plague in Exodus chapter 10, beginning in verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch blackness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So we have this play happening where the land of Egypt was in pitch black darkness, a darkness that could be felt, whereas Israel had light. The other is the crucifixion. Those three hours of darkness, where regardless of what side of the world you were on, it was dark. So you had darkness during the day in Jerusalem. You had darkness in the night in ancient America. You had this going. Now, it wasn't a third of the day. It wasn't eight hours, as we think of it. It wasn't even four hours, like they would think of in the Roman world as a day daytime being 12 hours, and you have the four different watches of three hours apiece. But we have this idea, this picture of what it's like, this pitch blackness that can be felt. So Dr. Brighton says, here in 812, the heavenly bodies are not totally destroyed or made incapable of producing their light, as they will in the end as we see in chapter 6, verses 12 to 14, as well as Joel, chapter 2, verse 31. Perhaps even more important, the plague that hits the heavenly lights is not so much a symbol of the darkness of God's judgment as it is a sign of his judgment. The actual heavenly bodies are being struck, 
And because they are no longer able to give their full light on earth, life in general and mankind in particular will suffer accordingly. As we go back to the ninth plague, the people in Egypt in this pitch blackness, in this time of darkness, they didn't even get up. They just stayed where they were when the darkness came. And they didn't move until it was light again. This will be that time. This will be that way when the heavenly bodies are struck in the fourth trumpet. As Peter says in 2 Peter 3, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So we have here Peter talking about, again, at the end, it is not just that they are struck, they are destroyed. Heaven and earth are wiped away, and a new heavens and a new earth are there. But before that, we have the sign of God's judgment upon the earth that there is the darkness. There is the darkness that can be felt. And we see this around the world. We talk, used to talk decades ago about sending missionaries to deep, dark Africa. Now we have African churches sending missionaries to deep, dark America because that is what's happened. We've allowed the darkness to come upon us because of our own actions or inactions. And an eagle comes through in this vision to tell John, yeah, this isn't even the worst of it yet. We haven't even gotten to the bad parts yet. So he says in verse 13, I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. It's like, okay, You've seen trumpets one through four. You think that's bad. You've seen nothing yet. Wait until these three angels start blasting. But let's talk about this verse for a minute. Dr. Brighton says, The partial darkness of the plague of the heavenly bodies, together with the plagues of the first three trumpet angels, anticipates the transition from divine warnings by way of these natural disasters to demonic woes, which will be shown to John in the scenes of the remaining three trumpet angels. To emphasize this transition from natural calamities to those that are demonic, and then to the end itself, an eagle flying in the highest point of heaven cries out in a loud voice for all to hear, Woe, woe, woe to those who are dwelling upon the earth because of the remaining three trumpet angels and what they will cause. So terrible and horrifying in comparison to the scenes of the first four angels will be the scenes which the last three angels will introduce that they are called woes. Trumpets 1 through 4, we have seen they have been natural disasters. They have been things that have been natural and occur. Trumpets 5, 6, and 7, they're going to be demonic in nature. They're going to be straight from the pits of hell. Quite literally, as we see next week in the fifth angel. Venerable Beat says about this eagle, The voice of this eagle each day flies through the mouth of the eminent teachers in the church when they announce the evil of the heretics and the rage of the Antichrist in the day of judgment, which with all severity will come to those who live, live love the earth, saying, In the last days there will come perilous times, and there will be men who are lovers of self. 2 Timothy 3, 1-2. And later in the same writing, men of corrupt mind and counterfeit faith. 2 Timothy 3, 8. 
And elsewhere, then that evil one will be revealed, who opposes and exalts himself over everything that is called God or is the object of worship. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-4. And then again, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. When people say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-3. Bede is looking at this happening in his day in the 8th century in Britain. He is seeing this happening then because it is happening all over. We talk about the heresies that are rampant in the world today. We talk about the work of everything that is anti-Christ, anti-Jesus throughout the world. And we see this as what it truly is the warning for the church. And it's interesting. We have the warning coming from a bird of prey. This eagle, uh, which is the English translation of the Greek word etos, is a bird of prey like a vulture or an eagle. Here, because the bird of prey is announcing for God the coming woes, it is probably better to view it as an eagle. However, if the woes causing death are emphasized, then it would be better to understand it as a vulture, which feeds on carrion. So how do you look at it? Do you see this? And this is one of the interpretive issues in Revelation. This etos could be an eagle, like a bald eagle. This could be a vulture. Which way do you look at it? Is it a sign of announcing God and his judgments? Or are we focusing on the judgments themselves? Eagle or vulture, either way. Brighton goes on to say, This eagle is the only earthly creature in Revelation which God uses to speak a word. In all other instances where God speaks through an intermediary, an angel speaks. Jesus refers to an etos, an eagle, or a vulture in connection with the finality of God's judgment in Matthew 24, 28. Then we have it flying directly overhead, or as Brighton translates it, the middle of heaven. And in the classical world, the middle of heaven in the astronomy of the classical world was the meridian. That is the time of day when the sun had reached its zenith, the highest point in the sky, noonday. The eagle flies directly overhead where the course of its flight can be seen by all. Like with Paul talking about what is going to happen when Jesus comes in 1 Thessalonians 4, this eagle, this messenger cannot be missed. Everyone will see it. Everyone will hear it. So we have the woes. And woe, woe, woe. Tripled for the most grievous woes that we can think of. Dr. McGee says these woes mark the deepest darkness and most painful intensity of the Great Tribulation period. They are generally associated with the last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel, which is the Great Tribulation period. These will be the blackest days in human history. And we always think, okay, it can't get any worse than this. They thought that with the Revolutionary War. They thought that with the Civil War. They thought that with World War I, the Great War. They thought that was World War II, the war to end all wars. And every generation after them just says, hold my beer, and I'll show you even worse. And it continues to go on. 
the most obvious allusion again to the eagle flying in the darkness at noontime would be Jesus at his passion, his crucifixion. Now from the sixth hour, noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. We have this moment once again. This is why these two are linked together. Is because you have this eagle flying, announcing the coming woes, so that we may all hear it, even in the midst of the darkness. We hear the great and loud cries, which is why on Good Friday we spend the time to listen to, and many times during the season of Lent, to focus on the seven words of Jesus on the cross, said during those hours of darkness. Because those are the important words. Those are words that even in the midst of his death, we find life and salvation. We find our Savior, our King, enthroned on the cross. All right, that's it for this week. Next week, we pick up with chapter 9 and the fifth trumpet. And like I said, and the eagle said, the woes are coming and you have not seen anything yet as to what is bad. We'll get to that next week in the fifth trumpet. But until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for being here to dig deeper in Revelation with me. And I pray that as we've looked at this trumpet and the darkness and the light of Christ helps you to wrestle with the theology around you today and always. Amen.